0: If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, Sainbox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month and the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit SaneBox.com forward slash giant and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's S-A-N-E. B-O-X dot com forward slash giant. You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today.
1: And feeling the should of it. You know, maybe I should... And that's where I stop myself every time. I'm like, no, Andrea, this is that's a dysfunctional relationship. Don't do it because you think you have to and because you're trying to save face for all these people and create an image because I want to be perceived a certain way. I mean, this goes into the shame work that I do. We all have these identities that we want to be perceived by from other people. And when we're at risk for not being perceived that way, or we actually are not being perceived that way, we fall into shame. And so I had to walk through that. I, had to, I forced myself to just sit in the muck of it. And I'll tell you, Charlie, it was not fun. <laughs> it was not my favorite, but I had to go through it.
0: That was Andrea Owen, returned guest and author of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back From Happiness. In today's episode, we get personal. That is, we talk about the challenges we've had with our fitness journeys, how we've dealt with the shame stories around needing to get help, and how our communities can both enable us to grow and create some obstacles. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show joining me on the Productive Flourishing podcast. Um, you know, our last conversation was fantastic and I was really pumped for this one. And now that, you know, we sort of decided what we're going to be talking about. Really
1: I'm excited. so happy to be back. I mean, we've, we could have just recorded the last 15 minutes of our chat and called that a day.
0: Yeah. You know, I know listeners always hate when people are like, well, what, we, you know, figuring out what we're going to talk about Well, we have such a range and, yeah. you know, cause you have your own podcast. Sometimes you want to talk about what's actually juicy for people rather than mm-hmm what we decided four months ago
1: we might want to talk exactly. about. Exactly. It might be different.
0: It might be different. And so what we're talking about today is the work of working on your own work. Now, I know that's very meta, right? <laughs> There's a lot of work in there. Um, but we're both um, coaches. We both have clients. Um, and we're both really advocates for doing our own work. And it turns out that's not so easy when mm-hmm. you're – You know, when you've got social media followings, you got people looking up to you, you got people sort of following you and seeing what you're doing, it creates a different level of um, head trash and inner critic, you know, intensity that you might not otherwise have. So, we're going to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about, um, particularly our health journeys right now, because we've both been on health journeys in different directions, but then Uh we've got some other things we're going to go into. So, kind of pull us into your health journey over the last two years or your journey with fitness and exercise.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes way back. I grew up, I was lucky enough to grow up in a family that didn't hate fitness. My parents played tennis. My mom was a runner. Exercise was never used as punishment. It was always fun. I played soccer growing up, played a lot of tennis growing up. And was always an athlete. And then even when I went to college for exercise physiology, I literally got a degree (laughs) in how the body works via exercise and always loved it. Always loved the industry, always loved the topic of how we are put together as humans. And so I worked in the industry for a little while and then found life coaching, but still always worked out. And then after some reflection and working on myself, realized that the behaviors I had in, especially in my twenties were not healthy. You could call it an eating disorder. I kind of flirted in and out of, of these behaviors and had to do some work on that, which was great, but still always had a decently healthy relationship with fitness and food. And then I got to the point where it was, it was kind of interesting. I ran a 10 K and was so miserable when at the end of this race, I was like, what am I doing? I hate this. I hate running. I was just burned out is what it was. It was just burnout from running. Didn't want to do it anymore. And then I had even done a couple of triathlons. And so I quit. And then my dad died in 2016, which was also, my dad died three weeks before the 2016 election, which I'll just tell you, the election did not go my way. (laughs) So (laughs) it was sort of a double whammy. And I just thought to myself, you know what? I don't I don't want to work out anymore. I just don't want to and I had also come to the realization that pretty much my entire life I had worked out and exercised solely to change the shape of my body and or the appearance of my body and I thought to myself this is a dysfunctional relationship. Like I don't want it to be that way because I could I could tell you of course I'm working out for my health and it's to feel good and it's self-care and and that's those are all noble reasons. And at the same time, it was a load of bullshit. Like it really, truly was. And so I took, I told myself, you know what? I'm not going to work out unless I can get, until I can get to that place where I need to work on my stuff and get to that place where truly, truly I'm working out to take care of my body for its health. And as a 44 year old person, it's a whole new ball game now. Like, you know, I don't want to sprain my ankle when I'm getting out of the shower. (laughs) Hurt my back when I'm tying my shoes. It's a yeah. real thing.
0: Well, I'll say this is not just flattery, but like you're mid 40s, but I wouldn't be able to tell. So well, that's you. the other, that's the other thank thing. Thank my you parents tell
1: for that great DNA.
0: Yeah. But um
1: Yeah. It's it's been tricky. But
0: let's dig into this a little bit more because if we're going to be really real, we know that a part of, um especially online thought leadership, is an appearance game, right? Yes. It really, really is, and and this, is for men and women, and uh, so I'll get get to my side too. So it's, it's in some ways, it's a career jeopardy moment in the sense of if you're not fitting the image that, you know, both you have put up and that society is placing upon you, then that could mean differences in terms of whether people will take you seriously or whether they take you too seriously. Like there's mm-hmm. all these perceptions that go around just the mere physicality of what's going on. And so we can't sort of pretend like that doesn't exist. So yes, it can be for health, but did you talk to about that sort of appearance and that sort of social pressure and an acknowledgement piece of it?
1: Yeah. Well, I and, you know, of course I started to gain weight and I would look back at some of the images that were on my website. And I was like, those pants don't even fit me anymore. Not even close. <laughs> and, and people would say, make comments about this one particular pants I had though. And I'm like, I don't, Those don't, it's not even, not even anything. And also seeing other people in my industry that are at my level in their Instagram stories, high-fiving their workouts every day and thinking that... And feeling the should of it. You know, maybe I should. And that's where I stop myself every time I'm like, no, Andrea, this is, that's a dysfunctional relationship. Don't do it because you think you have to and because you're trying to save face for all these people and create an image because I want to be perceived a certain way. I mean, this goes into the shame work that I do. We all have these identities that we want to be perceived by from other people. And when we're at risk for not being perceived that way, or we actually are not being perceived that way, we fall into shame. And so I had to walk through that. I had to. I forced myself to just sit in the muck of it. And I'll tell you, Charlie, it was not fun. <laughs> it was not my favorite. But I had to go through it.
0: Well, that's similar because, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting on your story and my own because, um, you know, I haven't talked about this publicly yet this first time here. So um, sometime in March or so, I stepped on the scale. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm comfortable talking about it. So I weighed 240. And mm-hmm. though I'm a mes- I'm a mesomorph, I'm a stocky guy. I was like, nah, that's an excuse at this point. Like this yeah. has gone too far. And it also happened that like two weeks prior, I, or around the same time I went to see my dad and my brother
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, you know, we come from heavy stock, don't eat well from the South, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at my dad who was diabetic and he's, you know, um, he's 79, Um, and so in looking at his journey and how similar we are in many ways, I was like, that's the road I'm on. Yep. Right. And looking Mm -hmm. at my brother, I love him to death, but he knows he's not on a good road too. And I'm like, that's the road I'm on. He's six years older than me. If I don't change, I'm going to be where he is in six Mm -hmm. years. And I was like, nah, I gotta, I gotta do something. But there's also, and I'm trying to think about whether this is an image piece that we might get into sort of this weird public coaching sort of thing going on. But I was trying to think of you know, what, what came to me is this is not who I am Mm -hmm. above and beyond the image of something like, I am not the person who, who lets this go this long, right? Are you saying
1: like, you're not the person who doesn't take care of himself as, as you deserve? Is that what you're saying?
0: I think it's two. I mean, I think it's two ways. One is this is not my body. Like Uh the body that I'm in is not mine. It doesn't feel like the way my body should feel, even though I'm, even though I'm cresting 40. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like, no, this doesn't feel like me. Um, yeah. And there's also, this is not the type of person that I am. Right. And I think about so many of the conversations that I have with, with clients and people out there who are just not prioritizing the things that matter mm-hmm. and all the excuses and all the sort of explanations. I'm like, I can't do that work Yeah, and I'm not, and continuing to let this be a priority or not be a priority. Now, what I will say, um, not as an excuse, but as an explanation, is last year when I was finishing the book, that was the priority. And I knew then I was like, you know, authors often gain 15, 20 pounds when they write the book. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's a thing that happens, y'all. Sitting uh, in
1: coffee shops, ordering muffins and.
0: <laughs> yeah, ordering <laughs> muffins, I and, you know, two cappuccinos a day <laughs> and like. Uh, you know, riding your heart out for four hours and then being exhausted and not having any willpower. Like, all of those are things that happened, but I also had a health thing last year that kept me from working out. So those two combined sort of stacked on me. And so what I told myself was like, you know what, I'm going to focus on this project, and then because I'm me, I can lose the weight afterwards, right? Um, because when I do take it seriously, I do lose a lot of weight pretty quickly. Um, but I knew... When I stepped on the scale, when I saw that. One other thing that I'll put in there is I um, ended up needing to get a CPAP in December because um, mm-hmm. I have a sleep. I developed a sleep apnea, and I was like, "How did I develop a sleep apnea?" And the docs were like, "Well, like as you age, that's one thing that happens. <laughs> but two, like your like if you lost, you know, some weight, you probably would be fine and you wouldn't need it. And so I'm like, so in my head. Um, and whether it's a shame story, whether it's just a factual story, it's like, so basically I'm having to pay money and sleep with this machine because I'm fat or because right. I'm overweight. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it was really, it was, I'm fat if I'm being honest, because I'm fat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, so that's a thing that happens. I don't, I don't like that. Right. Um, and it's, uh,
1: welcome to, this, middle age, welcome to middle <laughs> age, middle right? age, right.
0: And so I was like, okay. So I could pay because the CPAP ended up, and I'm, I know I'm going long here, but the CPAP ended up costing like a thousand bucks. And I'm like, I could just pay a thousand bucks to like work with a trainer mm-hmm. and, and like stop the problem, right? Like fix it. Like we know what we need to do here, right? Yeah. Didn't at the time. So um, I got to CPAP and I just got reached that point. I was like, how painful does this have to get, Charlie, right? Before you really take That's it seriously. That's a powerful
1: like, coaching question. Yeah. Right.
0: And so I was like, it's gotten to that point. 240, I'm not going above that. Um, But, and I knew that whatever I was doing was not working. Mm -hmm. It was not going to help me lose um, the weight fast enough. And uh, maybe this is vanity. Maybe this is just me being me. I don't care. Like, I knew I was going on a national tour in September, October, and November. And I was like, there's two things going on with that. One is I have to have the vitality to do all day on my feet, teaching, mm. coaching, press moments, you know, podcasts. I have to be able to do that energetically. I have to have that vitality. Yeah. But two, the last thing I want to do is be on a national show, right? Having people watch me and I'm 40 pounds overweight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like mm-hmm. That, ain't, that ain't it. You know?
1: Talking about living your best life.
0: Talking about living <laughs> your best life talking right. about focusing on what matters like I couldn't do it right and it so it sounds like
1: an integrity piece
0: it, it really was an integrity piece in that yeah. way and so um and also I lost the credibility the internal credibility you know how important this is Andrea yeah. to be able to say to clients and people and readers like I get there's a lot going on and you have to make this work because mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it
1: yeah well and I, I totally hear you on on I love that you mentioned You were focused on your vitality because that was it for me where the shift was because I also finally did get to a point. It was very early this year, December, January, where I finally just bought bigger jeans. I just I was tired of trying to shove my body into these jeans that don't fit. And part of me was like, I don't want to spend the money and because I feel like I, you know, my body might change. And I'm like, Andrea, it's it's gonna be fine. I found okay, Levi's for the women out there, (laughs) Levi's. really great high waisted jeans for like 40 bucks on zappos.com. So, bought a few pairs of those and they fit amazing. It was the biggest size I'd ever bought and I even had some pictures taken in them and I'm like, "You know what? Like that is my mom's body. Like I remember my mom looking like that and I thought she was the most beautiful person in the world. Does my body love not working out at all? Not really." And I'm with you. Like I remember running through an airport <laughs> during that phase where I wasn't working out. Dragging my carry on with a coat and my bag and, and being so winded, I think it was the Atlanta airport, which is gigantic and thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. (laughs) How winded I am. And I'm with you, being up on stage for an hour keynote, I have a lot of enthusiasm. And I don't, I mean, it's nerve-wracking enough as it is, and you're short of breath, at least the first few minutes of your keynote. But to not be in great shape, it's even worse. And so I that was the shift for me in that it truly was, and also I wanted to feel stronger. It and I and I I'm only half joking when I say I really truly I remember when I was in college, I was a lot younger. And at the time, they were talking a lot about because the baby boomers were a huge fitness population. And they were talking about functional movement. And I was like eye rolling, like oh, it's so lame functional movement. And now I get it. <laughs> and I'm still young and compared to baby boomers, but it's a real thing, you know, waking up with aches and pains and things like that. And I'll tell you what, I have like hardly any aches and pains anymore now that I've been working my butt off and, and doing what works, and I'm not winded anymore. So it all, it all I am grateful though for having gone through that two-year period and watching what happened and also watching the internal struggle like as a woman living in this culture that values small thin bodies so much more than any other it's been an interesting journey
0: very interesting yeah um one that's
1: not done by the way but yeah
0: yeah And, and that's been the thing because you know as I started so um you know, I was telling Angela because we were talking about press questions and we were talking about different things to talk about. And I was like, you know, the reality is I have lost twenty five pounds in two months, mm-hmm. um, but I don't want to talk. I was like, but I resist talking about that. One for several part of it is the that what if I can't keep it up? Story like what because that happens. People lose weight and then they balloon back up, and then you have a a story out there that you did it and then you didn't. So I'm like, ooh, I want to avoid that. But I also was like, I don't want to start the situation to where I'm normatizing a certain sort of behavior that people think they have to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And what's our way of talking about that so that it's not, um, unintentionally shaming folks into being a certain thing. So unintentionally shaming people who are, f- are perfectly happy with their body mm-hmm. and perfectly happy with their level of fitness and perfectly happy with their life that they should do something else. Cause that's not what I want to do. Right. However, I do want to say for those people who are not happy Mm -hmm. with their body, who are not, who know that they need to change some behaviors, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Like that's, that's the edge that I want to be on. Never want to convince someone they should do something, Mm
1: -hmm. but help
0: Mm -hmm. them do something they've decided to do. Um, And so that's where it's like, you know, I know what the game should be is I should be on Instagram and posting pictures and like doing all that. And I was like, first off, everyone who knows me knows I actually don't like Instagram. Right. Um, And so it's like, I would be out of integrity just to start that, just to do that one thing. And two, what's what what is that saying to folks like this is an important thing to me? Mm -hmm. Um, And um, for those people who are interested, great. But like, let's not make it such that it's just another way of telling women or telling all people they have to look a certain way and they have to do a certain thing. And if they're not, then they're less than because I hate that story in any variation of it.
1: Yeah, and it's super complicated because I mean, if nothing else, maybe your, listen, your listeners will walk away and just diet culture. Just Google it, Google diet culture, read some great <laughs> articles about, there, about that. And that was one thing that I really started to pay attention to. And coming from a fitness background, just so seeped in. And 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 honestly, when I was in college, it was the height of the quote unquote obesity epidemic, and taking, and for me more recently, taking a good look at fat phobia and ableism. And I mean, this gets really deep in in, and is even directly correlated with white supremacy, even if we want to go down that path. But diet culture is one thing where, I mean, the door got kicked down on that. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Wow. My eyes were opened and became conscious of just so much just in, in this country by itself. I mean, I don't have an experience of living in any other cultures, but I don't think it's that much different everywhere else, just how we are seeped in diet culture.
0: Absolutely. And and while we're talking about shame stories here, the other piece is the shame story one can get when they help people, but they need to hire someone to help them with yeah. either that thing or another. We should so have they, it all together. We should have it all together. Like, like if you're coaching folks, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't need a coach. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'll let you share sort of your thing and then I'll talk about mine. So, so um, talk about what you got going on on that front.
1: Oh my gosh, what do I not have going on? Well, just to kind of like a quick overview. So I have a peer mastermind that I work with where it's just a, a four colleagues of mine. So there's five of us total. We get together monthly for a 90 minute Zoom session and, and each bring something. I'm a part of a paid mastermind that's a year long. And there's 10 of us in that with a, with a guide. And for one-on-one, I hired a woman who, so the topic of, of sex, had been kind of like swirling around like a vulture kind of like <laughs> in my life. And I'm like trying to bat it away and ignore it. I've worked through my shame stories. I've gone through the death of my father. I've gotten sober. So many different topic, big topics that I've worked on and not been afraid to walk into. But the topic of sex was the heaviest I felt like. And I'd been sort of putting out there that I wanted to find a mentor, coach, therapist, whomever. Found a couple people that it just wasn't right. And then this woman serendipitously, I shared a cab with her in Amsterdam and she's American. And we were both speaking at this festival in May and we got to talking and we both didn't want to go to this particular party. And so we ended up having dinner together and she kind of just casually told me what she did with clients because I asked her and I, she told me and I was like, I have to hire you. I know, I know that I have to hire you. So we've been working together for a few months and she's already oh my gosh it's it makes me so uncomfortable i know people can't see me right now but you can like even yeah. i know that like i i'm like hands wringing and and it's one of those things where but as sort of a personal development junkie i'm both terrified and excited to do this because i know what's on the other side i know that this is directly related to my creativity and that these old stories and old conditioning like live in my body and i cannot wait to free them i cannot wait to just walk through it. And I know it's going to be incredibly powerful for me. And I'm, I'm really not afraid to tell people that I'm still, I think that's why my audience loves me so much is because I'm not trying to tell you I'm up on a pedestal thinking that I don't need any help. Like I still do. We all do.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and thanks for sharing that. I know talking about sex can be um, very challenging in general. We live in
1: America. Like we are weird about it, right? (laughs) Well, We're weird.
0: So here's—I read this a few years ago, and I can't find the source. So someone please don't call me out for not being able to reference that. But um, this was like a decade ago that we are more comfortable talking about our sex lives than our money lives, right? You think so? That's that's what it said at the time, and I was like, you know, I think, I think it depends. It depends. I think it depends. um, But um, I think I have experienced plenty of people who are willing to talk about you know, that sort of thing, but not willing to talk about their budget and finances, right? Yeah. That sort of scenario. So I think it really depends. But let's just say they're both really hard topics.
1: They both really are. And I just want to throw this in real quick, that it's one thing to talk about your sex life, like the positives of it, or like, you know, the great stuff that you have going on with your partner or whatever. However, it's the stuff that you, you know, like your old conditioning and the things that you're ashamed about, any kind of like fantasies, like that's the stuff I think that people are like, no. No. Shit. <laughs> we'll yeah, it's that. such a
0: taboo topic. Even though I think since I read that article and now we talk about it much more openly, and I really appreciate that because it's been such—it's that topic has been such a tool for imprisoning people for so long, yeah—and people being unhappy for so long that I'm glad we're finally to start talking about it and acknowledging the trauma that people have sometimes Mm -hmm. around that and being able to say, this is a thing that happens and it's not just you that has to deal with this alone. So really appreciate that piece of it. So I think times have shifted, but you're absolutely right. Like if you go into those deep sort of things that you're not supposed to want. And like, I think my piece about that whole topic, because, you know, Angela and I have done a lot of conversations, a lot of work around that sort of whatnot is what is it about pleasure, especially sexual pleasure, that we can't just talk about that Mm-hmm. Right. It has to be so veiled and you can't like something just for liking something. Right. right. Um, And so there's just so much going there um, that, that makes it such a taboo topic and such a difficult topic. Um, mm-hmm. And then you layer over, you know, um, culture and religion and oh, God, religion. family norms. And, and I think and, it's
1: gender specific. I think yep. that for women and men, it's, 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 I'm not saying that either have it harder, but. But it's it's definitely unique with each one, and uh, yeah, you throw religion in there. Who? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely, Christians
1: don't get mad at me. I'm not, <laughs> I grew up with, yeah, and it's it's a lot of a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's what I want to say. Like, if you live in American culture, you live in a Christian culture, whether or not you're sure. practicing Christian, whether or not mm-hmm. like so much of that seeps into the conversation, the cultural more the cultural mores, the folkways all the conversations that like you get in that. I grew up in the same way, right? Um, Very, very Methodist and so on and so forth. And so like, I get it from that side of things, but that's just the culture we live in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's deep, deep things there. Um,
1: It's seeped in shame, I think is is an easy way to bottom line it.
0: Bottom line it, yeah. So I'm done with the conversation, seeped in shame.
1: Okay, let's talk about something else.
0: <laughs> talk, talk about something else very, very quickly. It was really interesting. Like you're right, the readers can't see you, but that was one of the few times we've had a conversation where you started getting itchy and you started getting clammy. It's so it's,
1: it's because it lives in my body. That's the thing that's so fascinating to me. And I'm someone who's really had to work hard through the somatic. Uh, healing of things because I'm all up in my head. I want to have a step-by-step process where where we can just talk about things and have it be very practical. And that's why I specifically hired this person because I know that it lives inside of my body and I'm fascinated by the chakras. I'm not sure how much I live and breathe by them, but I do know that as a woman, so much of our creativity is in our womb, whether you have a uterus anymore or not. And I just, I, I do know without a shadow of a doubt that so much of how we show up in the world creatively or not is tied to that big topic. And that was one that I'm, I'll, I'll keep you posted on how, <laughs> how it turns out, but I'm, I'm optimistic.
0: We'll, we'll talk in six months Right. Um, right. <laughs> um, or two years. because I was going to say like, give me a year. <laughs> give me a year or two. <laughs> well, you're, you're absolutely right. Like if that second chakra isn't spinning, like metaphorically or literally, whichever way you want to take it, but the things that get that second chakra going are the things that are tied to our creativity, right? And people get stuck around that. Sorry, second chakra is tied to sexuality and sensuality. Um, and so if there's a blockage there, so the, so the theory goes, you'll you'll experience it elsewhere. What I'll say is metaphysics aside, whether you believe it or not, if you do the things that are recommended to do to open the second chakra, all of a sudden you become more creative. Who knew, right? It's like,
1: so interesting. It's, it's, I I knew it was a thing when I was, I messaged my friend Elizabeth DiAlto because she's like the only one who I thought would wouldn't think I'm weird and I can't believe I'm about to say it publicly. I messaged her and I said, have you ever had a really amazing idea and then immediately became sexually aroused? And she was like, totally. (laughs) I was so afraid she would be like, what? no, you're weird. And I was like, that is related. And it was, it would come and go, but that was really sort of a pivotal moment where I thought I have got to get a handle on this. Cause I feel like there's so much that's blocked that I need to work on.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the trick is again, where people hire us to work on deep things like this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's a For me, maybe not for you, but there's sort of this lingering monkey chattering in the back of my mind of like, you know how to work on this dude. Like you do this every day. Like how about you just eat your own cooking? (laughs) Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, just go about it, you know, and that's where, like, I typically say, like, you can't read the label when you're stuck inside the jar. Like, even yes. when you can read the label, doesn't mean that you can get your ass out of the jar. Right. Exactly. Um, and so sort of on my side of things, my, my big thing was, um, part of my journey, especially with the fitness thing is that I decided that it was time to hire a, co- a, a uh, personal trainer. Mm hmm. I had all sorts of shame about this, right? Cause I'm hmm. like, I'm, I've been working out. I know how to do this. I've been doing this since I was 14. I know what my body responds to. I know what diet I need to be on. Mm-hmm. I know all of this um, and military background to show up like just wake up in the morning, you know and I had Jocko Willink in my head. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Jocko. Not not putting down Jocko. He's he's, he's my discipline um, with my like, spirit guide. Um, but I had him waking up at four thirty four in the morning, like, get after it. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, I did you get
1: this. up or no? No, um,
0: okay. <laughs> that's the thing. I wasn't doing it. Right. But I knew that's what I needed to do. Um, but here's what I also knew about myself. Um, I'm a pack animal. Like I love doing mm-hmm. stuff with people like me standing yeah. there doing something by myself. Not going to have fun. Not going to do it. I'm going to find a bunch of other reasons to do it. But all it takes is one person there doing it with me. And it turns mm-hmm. into fun. It's kind of like the Tom Sawyer with the, with the paint wa- or the fence washing or the fence painting thing. Um, and so I was like, I know that's what works for me. Anytime I've ever, and this is one of the things I do miss about being in the army is that you wake up and first thing in the morning, you're hanging out with all the people you work with, working out and, and getting that sort of thing going on. So it's like, I know that I need to get up and prioritize this first thing. I know I'm not going to do it by myself. I also know that if I commit to doing it with a personal trainer and I don't have to figure it out by myself yeah. and I just have to show up, I know that I'm going to do it. So that's what it did. Um, and so I'm like, oh, but it's so expensive. Um, mm-hmm. Because, Andrea, it was three times a week. Um, and I committed to doing it at least two months.
1: And you, uh, was it one-on-one or with a group? One-on-one. Oh, one-on-one. damn, that is expensive.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I was like, ah, it's expensive. But then I, I went back to the CPAP thing, though. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I paid a damn thousand bucks to buy a machine to help me sleep because I mm-hmm. wasn't attending to this and I wasn't getting the holistic benefits that we're talking about. So if I've already had to pay that, or if I'm going like, that's just the intro of things I'm going to have to buy if I don't get right. this in right. Um, Cause I know how much my dad's diabetes meds cost. I know how much all of that stuff costs. I'm like, I'm going to pay it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it was really one of those stupid things. Cause it's like, honestly, for the cost of a month of three times a week, um, training like that's one session for me yeah and so it's like I can just sell that one or just reallocate the money that I'm already going to get for that and now I realize I'm coming from a financially privileged space in the sense mm-hmm. that that's built in our life that I'm able to do that but it was a conversation that Angel and I had was like wait a second we were willing to pay um you know a bunch of money to go to Jamaica earlier this year it didn't happen right because of health stuff um kitty health stuff more than anything else but um that's neither here nor there i was like we were willing to pay that to go somewhere for a week or 10 days Mm -hmm. it seems really really friggin' inconsistent (laughs) to not be able to pay a fraction of that yeah to take care of this long-term you know health vitality personal integrity confidence piece right and you
1: can't go to jamaica if you're sick
0: you can't go to Jamaica if you're sick. Um, you can't enjoy Jamaica if you don't want to take your shirt off because you don't yeah. like the way your body looks. And yeah. there could still be that cultural shaming thing going on. But I just knew for me, like, I could either work on the deep sort of problem, yeah. right, which is something you can work on. But also I could just lose the weight that I know I needed to lose anyways. I mm-hmm. knew I needed to lose. It wasn't someone else shaming me. It was yeah. like not where I needed to be. Um, yeah. But again, a lot of shame because like I'm paying all this money and I'm going and I can't do this by myself. and Um, But what really got me, and I talked to Angela about this, was like, what I was most scared of is not people finding out I was working with a personal trainer, Mm -hmm. like, Because what type of butthole would I be to be like, oh, yes, I am totally hireable to work with you on your thing, but I am totally beyond hiring someone (laughs) to help me. I'm
1: above that.
0: I'm above that. I've got it figured out, y'all, right? Um, So that's one piece. And two, it made it joyful for me. But what I was really scared is that I would love it. And then, Yeah. And that I'd have to figure out how I was going to do it or that I'd come up with that grief moment of like, damn, I don't know that doing three times a week for forever, ever is sustainable. Right. Yeah. Um, But uh, turns out I do love it. I'm working through it. Um, But it was just that sort of moment of saying like, um, and, and you know, because, you know, from your, um, um, from being, from getting sober, like just recognizing I need some help. Mm hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not able to do this by myself. Yeah. Um, even if I were able to do it by myself, that would be the really hard and slow way.
1: Why, can't, just why, can't, I,
0: yeah, why can't I find and fund the fun way to do this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just accept and lean into that and enjoy the friggin' process. Because mm-hmm. as we started talking about earlier, like life is hard enough as it is. Sure right? is. We don't need to be out there making it harder or doing stuff the hard way just because, you know, um, that. Now, again, I know that's not an option for everyone, but I think it's an option. A version of getting the help that you need Mm -hmm. is an option for a lot of people, especially when you just think about what can what are you already doing? Let's talk about the money piece so it could be more specific. What are you already buying or spending to fill the holes of unhappiness that you have around not Mm -hmm. taking Things. And so I talk about a lot about this, Andrea. When it comes to creative work, I think a lot of people go into overconsumptive modes when they're not doing the work that matters most to them. Yeah. Um, to fill that hole, and it turns out a lot of times when you see people who are on creative fire or they're doing the work that ma- matters most to them, they just don't want to buy a lot of things, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's, you, you think that you do the work to get the yacht. But it turns out you do the work, and you do, and, and the work is enough, and you don't want the yacht. You just, mm-hmm. and also you may be tired because you worked your ass off that day. Yeah,
1: right. Do, you need do, a do it, you need so a full. sabbatical.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been a really interesting journey on that front, um, and transformative in a lot of ways. Because I'm also like, where else is this sort of pattern showing up? Like I thought I had figured this whole asking for help thing out. Mm-hmm. Turns out not.
1: Do you mean you still have a hard time admitting that you need help or is it the asking for help process that's hard or both?
0: Um, I'm, I'm at the third stage of it. Okay. So first stage, realizing you need help.
1: Right, right.
0: Second stage, asking for help. Third stage is actually receiving the help without being weird about it. Okay, gotcha. Right. Yeah.
1: I'm- why are we like that? Why are he, I I know I write books about it. We don't need to go down that path, but it's, you know, and I think that we just, I'm a true believer that we are meant to be in community in so many ways. And true, some people, you know, are more introverted than others or just shy. And, but I think it's the exception where people really enjoy and are motivated by doing things all by themselves. You know, people who do at home fitness or things like that. And, I just, even if you can't, I mean, I bought a Peloton bike, like that thing is not cheap, but I, so I get that it's, it's not for everyone to be able to hire a trainer or buy expensive workout equipment, but there are other ways to do it. I mean, this is what I tell my clients all the time. Like the next door app you can put out there that you're looking for people to go on walks with, you know, and, and there are community things that are, that are so incredibly affordable and there, there are ways to do it. And sometimes it's just that accountability. That's it. That's all you need. Because you do actually know what to do. We're yeah. all grown ups. We know that movement equals <laughs>
0: health. Yeah, we know that movement equals health. And what's funny about it is I think we also know, even for the introverts of us, mm-hmm. right? I think we also know like doing stuff with people makes it better. It mm-hmm. makes it easier. Like we know that, but we don't do it. You know, we, we live. I was writing a post thinking about this. You know, I was thinking about this, wrote a post. Or was it the other way around? I was writing a post and ended up thinking about it. It doesn't matter. Um, and we are now at this point to where the norm of human interaction is virtual or digital.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So we know strangers that live halfway across the world more than we know our next door neighbors. Yeah. Right? Completely. And so at the same time, I think there's a deeper knowing that like the relationship with our next door neighbor is richer and more powerful and more Mm -hmm. important in the end because stranger from across the world may not see that, you know, someone stole your bike (laughs) Uh, (laughs) or whatever the case may be. Like the things that neighbors do like with and with and for each other, it's just different. Right. Um, And so I think that's just that weird thing is like getting back to asking for local help and asking for local resources is, Mm -hmm. is the way to go. And yes, I, th- I think part of it is, is that like, who, what, what was I reading? Debt, the first 10,000 years, I think I was reading that. Um, he was talking about in different societies, we understand that giving gifts or exchange keeps a relationship going. And so to pay off one's debts and to be in a place where you don't owe anybody is essentially saying, I don't want to be in community with you.
1: Interesting.
0: And so the cultures have ways of which there's there's a myriad of different small debts that are owed across them because it's a way of saying we're all in this interdependent relationship. Mm-hmm. And so it's incredibly rude to be like, we're done. Even Stephen. I don't owe you anything. Um, I'm just going to go do my own thing because, again, yeah. you just said I don't want to be in community with you.
1: That's so fascinating. It makes me think that's why in, in many cases friendships and intimate relationships too. But I was thinking about friendships, how they can feel – awkward and uncomfortable because one person feels it's it's just uneven in that way
0: yeah um we will corrupt more relationships by them not being reciprocal Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. if you're that super person that no one can help no one can be no one can say anything meaningful or contribute in any ways at a certain point that the other person is like i can't be in relationship with you
1: yeah Exactly.
0: Um, Or I can't be in an equal relationship. I have to be in a sycophantic or I have to be in a mentee or I have to be in a less than relationship with you. Mm -hmm. and I don't want to be, you know. So um, all that said, I think part of the reason we maybe shy away from those local relationships is because you do set up these obligations and responsibilities that you can't turn off a notification and get away from.
1: Yeah. And then that's where ghosting happens because people are feel bad that they haven't responded to, some, I mean, yes, I've done it and been on the receiving end of it. But what's really fascinating, I know this is kind of off topic and we can, we cannot go there, but just being in the, in the Peloton community and for those people that don't know what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a company that has essentially recreated the gym experience at home. And I've been watching the company over the last couple of years, but it's been fascinating for me to watch because it's, it's virtual and it works. So even they even have a high five feature and there are Facebook groups dedicated to certain types of personalities via the Peloton. It's been fascinating for me to watch as an outsider and someone in personal development of how it's created a cult following. And I, and I, I feel that has everything to do with community and less so than the actual bike or treadmill that people are on.
0: CrossFit's the same way. Yes. Right. Bar three is the same way. Right, Mm -hmm. And so I think when we're looking at the innovations in especially fitness, they're all around how do we build a community around this. To a certain degree, um, Lululemon is that way Um, because it signals that you're a part of a community. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's not the deep community that Peloton or CrossFit or Bar3 or some of the other sort of things. So I've been watching these for a long time because um, it turns out another organization that's great at making community is the military. Right. And so I see so many things that they're doing there. And I'm like, oh, that reminds me of things that we did in the army. Mm -hmm. Right. That reminds me of that. That's that's why it works. Right. Um, Because I think those organizations and it's not really off topic because if you sort of look at the thread, it's realizing the work that you need to do and understanding how that's seen within the community and the sort of stories that you came then mm-hmm. sourcing sourcing the community for help and building community around the interdependent right. growth, mm-hmm. and then sort of we're on the uh, just understanding that the foundation of personal growth is community.
1: Truly, I think that our brains just love it. Absolutely positively, it's it's just fodder for a healthy mental and emotional state.
0: Fantastic. Um, we can talk about stuff forever. I realize that, um, but um, you know, sort of looking at where we are in the conversation. Um, as the guest for today's episode, you get to leave us with an invitation or a challenge, depending oh. on what, what what best fits what, what best resonates with you. So what would you invite or challenge our listeners to do?
1: I would invite the listeners to think about where they can show up more so in their community. And I don't mean necessarily the community where they live. I mean even if it's a circle of friends that they have because in in my community over at Your Kick Ass Life, it a lot of the women tend to really struggle with asking for help. And they put on a face that they have everything together when someone asks them if they're okay. Even if they do share something that's hard, they just storytell and tell the facts without getting into any of the emotional capacity that's there. And so I invite them to think about one or two people that they trust immensely and tell them, even if it's not something that they're going through that's really difficult at the moment, if it's something that happened a long time ago that they have feelings about. And here's here's the kicker. So it's not just that. It's also that you ask for what you need in those moments. Because I think we have so many well-meaning friends who we tell something really difficult to, and they either try to fix it or they try to dismiss it and say, oh my gosh, you have to be exaggerating. It wasn't that bad. I'm sure that your boss didn't mean what they, you know, and, and we're trying to make the other person feel better. We're trying to put a blanket, a warm blanket over their feelings when really all you want is to be seen and heard. And so I invite you to ask for what you want and you can say something like, I love that you always try to fix it for me. And that tells me that you feel love that you love and support me. And what would make me feel so loved and supported is that if you did this, and then you tell them exactly what it is that you want. Do that with your romantic relationships too. It can be a game changer.
0: Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Partners. I was going to say mm-hmm. men, but I'm going to say partners. When your yeah. partner is expressing things to you, the question to ask is, would you just like me to listen? Or would you like some help with problem solving?
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: honor whatever the response is. Yeah. Um, which might be nodding, nodding your head and saying, oh, that really sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and biting every urge that you have to fix it. Uh, my
1: my best friend is a relationship expert and, yeah. and communication expert. And sometimes when I come to her, like if I'm seething mad at my husband, which doesn't happen very often, but it's, it does happen. And she says, well, do you want to hear my thoughts? I know that she sees my part in it. <laughs> she wants to tell me. And I'm like, no, I actually don't give me 24 hours. And she does. And I, and I, and then we've had to establish that in our relationship because before she would come right in and tell me, and then I would hang up on her or just stop telling her. I'm like, I'm going to tell my other friend that's always on my side from the beginning and not tell you. So we had to come to that conversation and, and I always know that she has thoughts and when I'm ready to hear them, she will give them to me. But yes, ask for what you need.
0: Andrea, thanks so much for joining me today. It's always a blast talking to you.
1: I know. We could talk about all kinds of different things all day long. I am just, I feel honored to be here. Cool, cool. All
0: right, listeners. So you heard it from Andrea. Ask for what you really need. I'm going to put that really on there because sometimes we ask for the surface level need Mm -hmm. and don't acknowledge the deeper level need in a conversation. Um, Remember, we grow with others. So find the other people that you want to grow with.